Hello and welcome to week 14 of the Line of Scrimmage podcast presented by the Everything Knowles Podcast Network. My name is Tim Allenball and over the next 20 to 25 minutes, we're going to line it up with a member of the media from FSU's next opponent. Well, the Seminoles did it. They capped off a perfect regular season, sitting at 12-0 after a win over their rivals, the Florida Gators. And up next is a chance to claim the ACC championship crown against the Louisville Cardinals. Joining us is John Powell of Card Chronicle, and we're going to break down what to expect in the ACC championship game. John, how you doing, man? Doing good. Uh, I'll say, you know, we hooked up last season uh, early in the year. Uh, I didn't expect the next time I'd be talking to you would be ACC championship game <laughs> for sure. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, being the fact that I live up here in Louisville also, it's, it's been a wild year for the fans. A lot of expectations, a lot of stuff going on. But I think, as you mentioned at the beginning, not quite these expectations for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was weird because when the uh, schedule came out and, you know, Brahms here and it's like, okay, well, no FSU, no Clemson, no UNC, you know, three of the the uh, notable favorites preseason. It was kind of like, well, you know, we got a shot to win eight, maybe, let's get crazy, nine games, you know. And, and so right. then here we are and the season's rolling along and, and uh, there's definitely been some moments that they've, you know, exceeded expectations when it comes to performance on the field and and uh, what Brahms done with, with putting together this team. So. Yeah, let's talk. Let's start with Braun. You know, last year the Cardinals were eight and five. I think the year before that they were, is it six and seven or something like that? Uh, last year was Scott Satter Satterfield's final year. And from an outside view, the program uh, really seemed very unhappy and lifeless. Uh, not quite Bobby Petrino turmoil, uh, but, but plenty of rumblings. Uh, you, you bring back Jeff Braun, the, the chosen child of Louisville. Uh, and the program has really been the definition of, of, of a 180, in my opinion. Uh, there's excitement. The city's uh, buzzing. The Cardinals are, are 10 and 2, despite the loss to Kentucky. Uh, you know, kind of the thousand foot view. How did Braun pull off such a quick turnaround? Yeah. I, I mean, as you can imagine, right, I've been getting like a, uh, a variation of that question, like most of the season, right? Because yeah. I think it's just a, a great story, right? It's like, well, what's going on there, right? And so I'll give you the um, the a condensed version, the uh, condensed game version, if you will, right? Just the highlights. Uh, so um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. One is your, uh, your prep into the question kind of hit the nail on the head, which was like, you know, Satterfield won eight games. What did he do this season before? Oh, was it six or seven wins? And what did he do this season? You know, and it's kind of like, yeah. that's just where they were. And I think fans were just like, this is where we are. We're going to win six to eight games every year. We're not seeing like that next step. Um, and there just was something off about the fit. I won't rehash the whole thing about Satterfield flirting with other jobs after one season <laughs> and that kind of stuff. But uh, he kind of, uh, you know, created some separation with the fan base, and it was really tough to win him back because he came out, he won all the games he was supposed to win, uh, but never won the games that he wasn't supposed to win, you know, and so it was challenging as a fan base. And so 
bringing Brahm in, there's this connection there, obviously having played there, he's bringing a coaching staff that has also got deep connections with the university with his brother being the OC who also played quarterback at Louisville. He's got Ron English who coached here before Chris Barclay, who's from the area, uh, Garrick McGee who coached here under Petrino, you know, so he was bringing back guys that not just were with him at Purdue, but were familiar with the Louisville program, familiar with the fan base, familiar with expectations. And so they came in and immediately hit the ground running of just like, all right, let's do an analysis on our team. Satterfield by no means left the, you know, the covered bear. We had talent on the roster. It was where do we need to plug in and fill holes. Um, And so they hit the portal uh, very hard. Um, I think, when it was all said and done at the end of the summer last year, they were a top five, you know, portal class by all, you know, major rankings. And so they went and got guys that they needed. Um, and at the top of that list was a quarterback uh, in uh, Plummer who could come in and he's not going to be uh, a superstar, but he knew the offense well. Um, and, and we can talk about Plummer a little bit more, but, Getting him early was key to also pulling in some other key guys at um, at core positions, such as wide receiver and, you know, bringing in some more depth at running back and that kind of thing. And so hitting the portal and then after spring, it was encouraging to see, you know, they went through all of spring practice and then they went back to the portal again. And it was like, OK, we thought we had some stuff that we didn't have. And then they went back and got some more depth at like uh, in the trenches, you know, at the O-line spot and even some uh, help in the secondary as well. So it was encouraging to see that they were coming in and not saying like, oh, it's year one. Let's just try to put something together that's respectable. But it was like, hey, let's come in here and try to win immediately. You know, that's that's the goal. And so it's just a shift in mindset. I think he comes in, you know, like I said, completely understanding the expectations of the fan base and what uh, what we think this program can be, which is somebody that can compete, compete for conference championships, you know, on a consistent basis. And, and so he's shown that in the first season he's been here. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, a lot of excitement going on and uh, it's good to see Louisville taking that next step. And, and let's start with, with Plummer, like you mentioned, uh, Jack Plummer transferred over to Louisville uh, previously was, was at Purdue with Brom um, and, and as most of my Facebook feed tells me all the time, uh, Plummer's not exciting by by any standards. But, I mean, he's a capable signal caller, like you said, knows the offense. Um, what are your thoughts on Plummer, and, and how do you feel about how he's led the Cardinals so far? Yeah, so uh, full disclosure, I've been a Louisville fan for quite some time, but I'm actually a Purdue graduate, so oh. my – uh, experiences with Plummer were a little bit of a mixed bag, right? So I, you know, not only had I been following Brom now for, you know, pretty closely for the last seven years or so, you know, watching every Purdue game um, leading up to this, but I also had the full Plummer experience while he was at Purdue, right? Which was like, okay, this guy can can make some throws, but he's also pretty inconsistent. And there's some definitely issues with with turnovers and, you know, ball security in general. And so uh, he lost the starting job, uh, which no disrespect to, you know, he lost it to Aiden O'Connell, who's now playing, you know, for the Raiders and the NFL. So it's not uh, some guy off the bench. Right. But he lost the job. Brom was very upfront with him and said, 
look, you're, you're not going to be the man this year, maybe not even next year. And so uh, he hung around for a year, um, split some time with O'Connell there, and then went out to Cal. And to me, it was almost like looking back at it now, it was kind of this like, um, like, hey, why don't you go do a rehab stint in the minors for a year kind of thing and then like come back up and we'll see if we can hook up. And so – when he came to Purdue or when he came to Louisville early this year, my initial instinct was like, I don't even know if he's QB one. Like, you know, it, it might add some depth to the roster, but I don't know if he's the guy because of what I'd seen before. But now looking back, I mean, it makes perfect sense. You're, you're having to bring in someone no matter what. This is year one of Brahm at Louisville. He doesn't have anybody on the roster who's familiar with his playbook, with his offensive philosophies, his style, et cetera. So let me go get a guy who you know, uh, fully understands what I want to do week in and week out. He knows the playbook well. And even if he's not the absolute best at executing everything, he at least understands what we're trying to do conceptually, right? And so when you slide him in early in the process, they pulled him in on the transfer portal pretty early uh, prior to spring. Um, well, now you've got a guy who then can go out there and help pull in some wideouts and pull in some other players and key key guys and say like, look, I know this offense, we can put up some points, we can do some work here. Um, and, and so he was a big part of uh, what helped get the team going early. Uh, the transition for Plummer has been uh, Brom trusted him quite a bit early in the year and they, they were pretty aggressive. Uh, they took a lot of shots downfield. Uh, they trusted Plummer to make throws and on some of them, he absolutely, you know, paid off. And then at other times, it was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, we're, we're week one in Georgia Tech, and it was like, you know, the fans were like, I don't know if this is the guy, you know. We gotta, <laughs> right. well, who do we got on the bench, you know, warming up? Uh, so there's definitely been back and forth moments for sure. What Brahm's done as the season has weared on is what you alluded to a little bit more of like, okay, let's let Plummer still make some plays. Let's let him – but manage the game a little bit more and lean a bit more heavily on, you know, some offensive weapons that we have in Jawar Jordan, uh, Isaac Garendo, and, you know, some other uh, uh, backs that, that can help balance our attack a little bit, not abandon the passing game. You know, I think uh, Brom would retire before he, you know, just went full <laughs> on run mode. Right. But, right. but be able to mix it in, get a little bit more balanced and then open up the, the passing game as any coach hopes to do. Right. If you can get a, a good solid uh, um, running attack going early in the, in the, in the ball game. So it, it's helped some, they haven't asked quite as much of him in the last four or five weeks um, ever since the pit debacle uh, mid season. Uh, but uh, and it's worked out well, with with one exception of last week at Kentucky, which we'll just pretend that game didn't happen from here on moving forward for this uh, interview. But um, uh, otherwise, I think he's done a good job. He, he can do well uh, running the offense. Uh, they're not going to ask a ton of him. Uh, and if we get into the position where they, they need to have him do a lot, they get behind, you know, deep uh, early or they get behind a, a few scores, um, I'd feel pretty pretty comfortable if I was a Florida State fan. Um, you, you talked about a, not abandoning the pass game, and that's definitely not something Brahms <laughs> going to do. You know, if anybody's familiar with him or his brother, um, so let's talk about the the passing game. Jamari Thrash is is the leading receiver. 
explosive receiver for the Cardinals, over 800 yards, uh, six touchdowns. He's averaging nearly 15 yards a catch. Had a had a year had over a thousand last year. Um, you know, he's really one of the top receivers in the ACC, uh, especially for his size and speed. You know, what really sets him apart from his peers? Because if you look at his numbers, he really dwarfs the other Louisville Cardinals uh, receivers. But then also outside of Thrash, you know, who else should we be aware of? Especially when, uh, you know, Brom decided the last two or three games that he has tight ends that he should use as well. Yeah, it's funny how that works. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, Thrash came in as a G5 transfer, and that's not something unique uh, to Louisville. In fact, last year they had Tyler Hudson come in, and he put up over 1,000 yards receiving with Cunningham as his quarterback, you know. And mm-hmm. so Satterfield was – always getting the rap of like, you know, what's Satterfield going to do on uh, third and nine? Oh, he's going to run up the middle, you know? And it, it was like, well, they did throw the ball a fair amount, you know, pretty balanced offense. But um, but for Thrash specifically, him coming in, you started hearing the whispers again of like, hey, this guy seems pretty legit, you know, early uh, in the spring. And then uh, I was able to get out there for a few practices in the fall. And it was like, yeah, he he's just a different – you know, you can see sometimes when the guys are lining up, it's like, yeah, this this guy's different than the other ones, right? And so, right. Um, like I talked about earlier a little bit with Plummer, I mean, Thrash was the guy that they would go to for the big play. Um, uh, he's very shifty. He's He had great speed. Um, and so they would hit him over the top a lot. Um, I don't – I'd have to go back and look, but I feel like he had – had to have four or five plays of over 50 yards in the first three, four games. I mean, he was, he was getting hit or he'd, you know, get hit on a crossing route, make a couple guys miss and then take off, you know, just that next level speed. Um, He's done a good job at remaining consistent as the, as the seasons wore on, but defenses as defenses have adjusted for sure. You know, they start putting a guy over top or, you know, something to try to limit him a little bit. Um, so now they're having to, you know, get him involved in the offense a little bit more with some of the short yardage stuff. You know, maybe he's getting involved with, uh, you know, some screens or some quick crossers. Brom likes to run that mesh concept quite a bit. So they'll have Thrash cutting across the middle, try to get him in some space. Um, and then he's he's got an injury. So uh, I think it was Virginia Tech. Um the news came out that he may not be available and, and he didn't play against them. He's been back since then, but he's been significantly limited. I think he's maybe got 10 or 11 catches, you know, in the last three, four games. Um, he's got some bandages on his hands. Yeah. I think he had surgery on his hand. Uh, so he's trying to fight through it, it's, you know, still a weapon while he's out there, but he's definitely been somewhat limited, which to your points, open up the door for some other guys to step in. Um, couple speedsters and Kevin Coleman and um, Amari Huggins-Bruce uh, who can, you know, make you pay for sure if they get to uh, get any space. And then they have uh, Chris Bell, who I think is their officially their second leading receiver in terms of targets and yardage. Um, he's kind of like a glorified tight end. I think he's, uh, you know, like 6'1", 220 or something, you know, so he's a pretty big guy, but um, he, he can create some separation. Um but like you said, it was really weird for me coming into this season. There was concern about, well, what are we going to do at tight end? Because if you watched Brown's offense, he 
relied very heavily on the tight end at Purdue. Uh, had some really good players there, uh, including Payne Durham and so guys that are in the league now, you know, playing that position. And, and UofL just didn't really have anyone at that spot. So once again, they went to the portal. They got a, a couple people to fill in, and one of them being uh, Joey Gatewood, which might be a name that rings a few bells uh, yeah. for people. He was a – I think he was like the number – he was number one or number two athlete, you know, in 2018 back when he was coming out of high school. Went to Auburn for a couple of years to play quarterback. Actually went to UK, I think, uh, played mm-hmm. quarterback there. And then he's been at UCF for a couple of years. So he's jumped around a little bit. Um, and then they brought him in this year and were like, okay, you're gonna, we're going to put you at tight end. You know, you just got great size. You can catch the ball. You can make plays. And so he'd been relatively quiet most of the year. Hadn't really seen much. I don't know, the behind the scenes, I assume he's still learning the playbook and, you know, working on blocking and just learning the position overall. But, but yeah, they've, they've kind of unleashed the beast a little bit between him and uh, Nate Kariski, another tight end on the, on the team in the last few weeks. I think they've got like 18 catches and four touchdowns in the last three games or something, you know, so he's, he's really started to utilize that position um, and uh, get a little bit back into something more rhythmic that we saw at Purdue as far as, you know, utilizing that role and, and creating separation and trying to identify mismatches with linebackers and things like that as well. So. Yeah, I definitely saw some uh, trickery with those tight ends against Miami, which I didn't mind seeing. But yeah, Joey Gatewood, old uh, old friend to the FSU program, as Willie Taggart in those wonderful days tried to flirt with uh, Gatewood, and it, it didn't yeah. happen. And what a what a debacle that was for Florida State <laughs> at that time. But you know, um, we've talked about how the offense is rolling, but let's really talk about I think why this offense has been successful, and, and that's really running back Jawar Jordan. He, he's Eclipse the thousand yard mark. He's got 13 touchdowns. He's averaging over six yards a carry. I mean, he's a stud. Uh, in your opinion, what makes him so successful? So I really like Jawar. The funny thing about him is, and there may be people that disagree with it, I don't think he does anything like extraordinary. I, I think he's just really good at doing all the things you need to do to be a good running back, you know, it's, um, it's like those, uh, you know, clickbait articles. It's like three tricks that, you know, scientists don't want you to know on how to live longer. And it's like, uh, (laughs) click on it. And it's like, uh, Oh, I need to eat healthy and exercise and get plenty of rest, you know? (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, it's like, he knows what to do and he just does it and he does it very well. He's patient. You know, he, he doesn't, uh, immediately just run into the back of the O-line, which, by the way, he has a very good O-line as well, which helps. Uh, but he's patient. He waits for the holes to open. Uh, he has good escapability in tight spaces. Um, the big thing, if you wanted to say that, well, this does kind of separate him from everyone else is his burst for sure. I mean, if you give him some space, he can he can reach some peak, peak cheetah speeds for sure, you know, if, if given room. Um as with a lot of other guys, the only downside now with Jawar is um, he's a bit dinged up. And so we've kind of seen that in the last few weeks for sure. Um, you know, I talked about a little bit earlier in the pit game. He he was, he was tried to go. I think he had two carries. They saw he, he can't do it today. You know, it's just not going to work. And then they said, okay, Plummer, you're the man today. And he threw the ball, you know, 45 times. And they lost to probably the worst team in the ACC. Um, 
And so what they've tried to do now is they said, oh, we've got other really talented running backs in, you know, in the room as well. And so they're balancing him a little bit, still using him. He's still not 100%, but at this point in the season, I don't think anyone is, right? Um, but uh, they're balancing him with uh, Isaac Garendo, who's a Wisconsin running back transfer. So, you know, pause for a second, think of a Wisconsin running back, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's that guy. Um, you know, a big guy, but he's got some deceptive speed too. He's a you know, track guy. Uh, he can he can surprise some people for sure with what he can do. But him balancing Jordan has also helped really create a strong ground game the last three, four games especially. And we saw that against uh, Miami. Uh, we saw that uh, against Virginia. Um, and so even though Jawar's not at 100%, you know, Maybe we don't need him at 100, at 80%, and he can get, you know, 10 less carries a game, and we can give those to Grendo, then, then we can still get the total production we need from that group um, and have a good balance and try to keep both those guys healthy. Yeah, you, you mentioned a good offensive line, and, and it's definitely a veteran group, uh, three redshirt seniors. Um, I think Hudson just made first team all ACC, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, Tyler's great. You know, this unit has allowed – 22 sacks on the season, uh, but it's paved the way for over 2,000 yards rushing combined, which is crazy. Uh, what's the strength of this offensive line, and, and do you feel like there's an area they still need to improve on? Yeah, well, you mentioned Hudson. Actually, just right before we hopped on here, I was reading through some stuff. I saw he won the Jacobs blocking trophy today, which for those of you who aren't up on your Jacobs blocking trophy history, I guess it's the, uh, it's the most outstanding blocker in the ACC. So I've never seen the trophy. I just hope it's like a big guy pancaking somebody else on, you know, on the top of like a right, right. T-ball trophy with a little plaque on it, you know, it just says Jacobs on the bottom. But, but anyway, so he, he's been a great uh, leader up front at the center position, He's been there for a few years now. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, that was one of the areas that they saw like, okay, we've got some good talent coming in uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, they brought in two or three highly rated guys in the uh, uh, 23 recruiting class, but they knew like, okay, we're not going to, they're not going to be ready to go, you know, right now. So they went out, they pulled in Eric Miller from Purdue, who Brahm was familiar with. They went and got, um, John Paul Flores from Virginia, Willie Tyler from Rutgers. So a bunch of guys who played at Power 5 schools, who had experience, who were coming in, uh, knew how to play the position, knew what the expectations were, brought good leadership, um, and were able to, to fill a lot of the gaps where they had lost some people from last year and, and lost a couple key pieces the year prior. So they did a really good job filling in. They, they've done a a great job overall if you look at the numbers in terms of, you know, what the backs are able to do. Obviously, they get the credit, but the the O-line has to be, you know, solid for any team to put up good rushing yards. Um, so they've done a good job in, in run blocking and then pass protection. They've done a great job in protecting Plummer for the most part, um, allowing him to be able to, to make those, you know, uh, game-managing throws, if you will, and, and, and short reads. Um and earlier this year, you know, even giving him time to hit those deep balls when when they needed them to do so. 
they've got weaknesses like anybody else. I think there's definitely some times that um, uh, they do allow a little bit too much pressure uh, on certain sides. I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but uh, there's – uh, sometimes there's some weaknesses on the right side of the line that they, uh, they have some problems with, but overall they've, they've played well, especially for meshing together, really uh, a group that, that hasn't played together, you know, until this year, you know, a lot of times on that O line, you, you have problems or difficulties when you're trying to piece together four or five new guys into a system. Uh, but they've done a good job of coming together. And, and I think a lot of that points back to Hudson and just his leadership in the middle. Uh, unfortunately, I could not find an image of the Jacobs blocking trophy, uh, so uh, I, I can't can't confirm or deny what it looks right. like. But uh, that, right. that's typical for ACC, though. It, it's probably either. it's probably awful looking. But <laughs> um, flipping over to the uh, to the defensive side of the ball, I, I think this is where Louisville's really been special this year. Uh, it feels almost night and day compared to last season. Uh, you know, this is a top 20 defense, which really is led by this defensive front, uh, which the line alone is accounted for 25 sacks. Of course, they're led by Ashton Gelati with with 11. You know, how has this unit just really transformed? And, and is is there any area do you feel like teams have found success against this defensive front? Yeah, so if I – I won't take you too far back in the time machine here in the DeLorean, but, you know, if we go back two years ago, um, Brian Brown's here with um, Satterfield, and I think the fans fired him like 12 times. You know, I mean, it was, <laughs> there was some rough spots for sure. And then maybe a little before middle of last season, they kind of just flipped the switch and said, all right, let's just, you know, go big or go home. And they got really aggressive uh, with the front seven and said, look, we're going to we're gonna bring the heat more often than not. I don't think you can, you know, make a play fast enough uh, for us to uh, not get to your quarterback or get in the backfield. And they actually finished last year number one in the nation in uh, sacks. They had 50 sacks last year. And I think they were top 10 in tackles for loss. And so while that's fun to watch, right, there, there's the trade-off to that, right, like high-risk, high-reward kind of thing of – uh, when they didn't get home, then they were also giving up big chunk plays, you know, a fair amount. Uh, so coming into this year, they had pieces in place that where they could be aggressive. They had the the bulls in the China shop approach with some guys. Um, I think Gelati this year would probably have 20 plus sacks if he didn't get held like every play. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure every, every team and every fan is like, oh, our defensive end gets held on every play, you know, but, um, but, but he's been an animal. He, he's been getting a lot of pressure up front. He's been balanced by another transfer they brought in on the other side and Stephen Heron from Stanford, who was a, a local kid that came back home Um and they brought in a couple other pieces that that have done really well. So that that front group has played well. They run a a modified like four two five defense. Uh, so you know it's always fun to talk about. Well, what scheme do they run? And then you know once you get out there, it's kind of like well, okay, the the four down linemen. And there's also a you know a flex linebacker playing a star position or what you know. So they're moving them all over. It's it's kind of you can have a core concept, but but they're moving guys all around. The the general idea, though, is, hey, we want enough guys out there in the secondary 
that you're not going to kill us, you know, with uh, with a bunch of intermediate stuff or deep balls, right? We're going to try to protect it. We trust our front guys to be able to get pressure or to make stops. Um, and, and if you do have enough time to throw, then, then they brought in some transfers in the secondary as well, you know, to try to help. The, the last few weeks, um, if there's any complaint that I have is – um, there's definitely, it seemed like we've had a regression in the secondary teams have figured out some stuff. Um, and they're, they're starting to attack through the air a lot more than they were earlier in the year. I think we've, you know, the Louisville's proven that, uh, you're not going to have a ton of success running. Like you could put up some decent, decent numbers, but, uh, we're going to stop the run. That's the goal. Uh, and then try to force your quarterback to make throws into a, you know, hopefully, a highly contested, you know, throw or, or a tough throw. Um, but unfortunately, more often than not, the last few weeks, the, the quarterback uh, for the opposition has been up to the task and has, has made some good throws, and, and we've gotten burnt a few times for sure. So um, there's some things that they can improve on, but I would fully expect them to come out strong. Uh, I don't have the stat for memorized now, but uh, I used to know, I think now that, uh, after the Kentucky game, I can't remember exactly, but they're they're winning the first quarter something like ninety three to twenty one. Oh yeah, I remember seeing that against Miami. It was something absurd. Yeah, and so they come out fast. I mean, they're looking to. I think even against Kentucky, they picked up a first down, and then it was like you know third and seventeen before you knew it. You know, a couple tackles for loss, and then a sack, and so. They're looking to put you in a position where you're reeling quickly and then they, you know, Brom comes out with his script and he wants to score fast and put up points, um, you know, as any coach does, I'm sure. You know, it's nothing unique, but but he wants to get up seven, ten points and then he's just going to ground and pound all day, you know, and hope that right. you guys are, you know, having to throw the ball a lot more and they're dropping five guys into coverage, you know. And so that's, that's the philosophy and uh, it's – so accounted for 10 wins so far this year, you know, trying to do that. So kind of reminds me a little bit of what Florida State does a little bit here lately, just grounding it out and, and getting those wins. Um, you talked about the 425 defense. Uh Florida State fans should be pretty similar with that as Florida State runs pretty similar. Um, the linebackers kind of also playing that similar style that Florida State does, uh, with just two back there as your traditional in that traditional position. Uh TJ Quinn, Jalen Alderman combined for 127 total tackles. Uh, you know, this is a, a big step up for both of these guys and snaps, tackles, you know, playing time. But what's finally helped the light, you know, kind of switch on for these for these two? And uh, do you have any concerns with the linebackers? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when, when people, we talk about like, you know, what's your concerns in this area, this area, and then you like uh, – start kind of ripping into like all the weaknesses and it's like, right. guys, you know, you did win 10 games, you know, I'm right, sure you exactly. guys talk about, you know, Oh, here's our weaknesses. And like after an undefeated regular season, you know, uh, yeah. I'm always reminded, I think it was, I think it was like Richard Patino when the Louisville was going on their basketball run and he was just, you know, trashing the team as on their way to a <laughs> national championship. And it was like, well, you know, you guys are pretty good. And he was like, oh, everybody hates their own team, you know. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I could I could go on and on about our offensive line if you want me to. So. <laughs> so so, I say all that, you know, prefacing the fact that, 
Um, yes, TJ and, and Jalen have done a great job in stepping up this year. You know, they were guys who've been part of the program, uh, really took on an expanded role this year. Like you said, in that defensive front, they're kind of there as the safety net, right? And so that's why they're up there and leading tackles. It's like, well, if the line's not getting home or they're not, you know, getting to the quarterback or getting the running back, then those guys have done a great job in, in corralling them before they get 15 yards downfield, right? And we're forced to rely on safety help or whatever. But they do have weaknesses for sure. You know, there's there's times where um, uh, they're a little s- a step slower than I'd, I'd love. Um, I would say overall this season, I've been really happy with the Cardinals defense in general of just uh, sure tackling. They've been really good tackling team. Um, and I think that goes back to coaching. Um and then I, you know, I said that a few weeks ago. And then last week, uh, Alderman uh, bit me a couple times. He just missed some really key tackles in open space uh, against uh, Kentucky that would have probably uh, modified the game significantly. But you can't make every tackle, I guess. So so there's, there's going to be times, you know, I do worry um, against a back like Benson that there's going to be some challenges with – getting him down. They're going to have to do some gang tackling probably. And so uh, I, I say that as well for uh, uh, I still have night terrors. I think of Johnny Wilson on the outside. So I'm hoping that they try to do something differently than what they did last year with uh, thinking they could cover him with a safety or something. I don't know, but um, so yes, there, there are areas of weakness for sure, but, uh, those guys have, have done a great job. I think Quinn's just a sophomore, Alderman maybe a, a junior. So uh, they've got some time to, to continue to develop, but they've done a great job in stepping into some key roles in that defense this year. Yeah, you mentioned Johnny Wilson, and let's finish it up with the secondary. Like you said, Louisville went out and got some 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 names this year in the transfer portal. Uh, Storm Duck, who is the greatest football name ever. <laughs> yes. uh, old, old friend Jarvis Brownlee still roaming. Uh, the secondary, and then, of course, uh, Mr. Everywhere, Devin Neal. It's a talented group that complements the rest of this defense really well. Uh, how do you expect them to line it up with FSU's talented receivers this Saturday? Yeah, I, I like the secondary. Uh, I think they're good. They're not great, but they're good. I think they can do their job well. I'll say this as a side note. Quincy Riley one of their corners, I think, was absolutely robbed on the all-ACC list that came out today. Uh, I, I think by all measures, he's uh, he's got to be a top-five corner in the conference for sure. Uh, absolutely should be second-team all-ACC. I can maybe make an argument for first-team, but I know there's a lot of good talent out there as well. But I think he ended up on an honorable mention or something. But he's great. Uh, nobody throws at him all that much. Um uh, he's he's kind of on an island a lot of times. He's been tested a few times the last few weeks and done a great job. Uh, I think he was on um, – can't remember the wide out there at the end of the Miami game that would have tied it at the end, but he was covering him and, and did a good job on a few plays there. But, um, but yeah, overall, the secondary's been good. Um, they've, they've got some uh, weapons back there who are um, – who are able to, you know, have pass breakups, uh, but – but they've been hit a few times as well. We've had some blown coverages the last few weeks uh, that have been really hurt, uh, detrimental, I guess you could say, to the outcome of even the game last week and, and kept the Miami game close as well. Um, 
they they lost a really key piece of their secondary in the fall and MJ Griffin, who we hope to have back next year. Um, and so they had to, you know, next man up. Um, and, and they've done a good job at, at the safety position and in the secondary in general with, with limiting. It's definitely the weaker of the two areas. You know, if you're looking at run defense, pass defense, you're you're definitely going to see teams putting up more passing yardage, uh, like I referenced, especially as of late. But uh, I think they're they're talented enough to limit teams uh, where they can still win ball games. Um, uh, but 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 that would be my concern, especially heading into this week with some of the weapons that FSU has. All right, John. Finally. Uh... Give me your thoughts on how Saturday plays out. Yeah. I, so I keep going back and forth. I'm, I'm a little torn. Uh, I think if, if Travis was playing, uh, I'd have a lot less confidence. <laughs> but um, I, I say that. And then uh, uh, Maker came in last year in Louisville and lit us up pretty well here, uh, let a little comeback. And, and so um, I think we're looking at probably a seven to 10 point game um, mm-hmm. for FSU. I think Louisville can keep it close. I think they have enough talent on offense that they can still score against a good defense. Um, I don't think it's going to be a, a shootout um, by any means, but uh, I think they, they can keep it relatively close. I, I've done, I did a prediction earlier this week, so I'll probably, uh, uh, you know, go against myself a little bit. But I'm thinking like 30, 21 score, you know, range, something like that maybe. Uh, I think uh, Florida State can still put up points against this defense. Uh, maybe start out a little bit slow, but then get into a bit of a rhythm as, as some teams have done here in the, in the past few weeks. So I hope I'm wrong, but uh, that's kind of where I see it. The only thing I really hope, uh, Tim, is that, I feel like Louisville should feel very comfortable about locking up an orange ball bid, uh, no matter the result. Right. Um, but I was reading that, I guess it's based on the rankings. So like if Florida state comes out and just runs them, uh, by 40 or something, I'm nervous, uh, that they might drop below NC state. And then, you know, we had a season where we got 10 wins and we're playing in like the pop tart bowl or something, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think Florida state's going to do that. You know, my concern would be, I don't know if Florida state can get to 30 with Tate behind there. I'd love to see it. Mike has been way too conservative for me at times, Yeah, yeah. but, uh, but we'll see what happens. It's going to be a little bit of a different atmosphere than, than the swamp. It's not going to be, as uh, probably deafening at times. So he, maybe he won't come out as conservative, but uh, I do worry about the, the Louisville front. So um, we'll see what happens, gonna ask, definitely. I was yeah. going to ask your thoughts on something just real quick. Yeah. So having never had a team that's in a position like this where it's like, hey, we win this, we're going to a playoff, and then we've got a potential for a you know a national championship. I'm curious what the turnout's going to be from a Florida state perspective on Saturday, as far as the fans, cause it's like, Hey, do I have the, you know, the, the ability to go to an ACC championship and then follow that up with a trip to a, you know, a sugar bowl and then a national yeah. team. Or like, is it like, well, maybe I'll skip this one and then hit the playoff, you know, uh, games or. No, I, I think they'll, they'll, they'll send a pretty decent crowd to Charlotte cause it's just not as far. 
yeah. um, you know, for them to get there. Plus, you know, you, you've got a decent amount of Florida State fans sprinkled throughout the South, the Southeast there. Sure, so sure. I, I think they'll bring a pretty good number there. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, <laughs> you're talking about a lot of money to shell out if you make playoffs, you know, and, and, and that. But I, I know when uh, when Florida State played Oregon in the first the first playoff game, man, it was it was packed. You know, there was a lot of people, and that, I think that was out on the West Coast, if, if I'm re- if I'm remembering correctly. Um, was that in the Rose Bowl? or that, I think the Rose Bowl might have been the national championship game the year before. I don't know. I'm getting it all crossed. But I think they'll I think they'll travel to Charlotte well, even though the weather's supposed to be pretty crummy yeah. uh, from what I'm hearing. Good old Charlotte. I, I love every stinking year. Uh, it's just the worst weather possible. But um, I, I think they'll travel pretty well to, out to Charlotte. Okay. Yeah, I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, obviously, we're talking about quite a bit different, right? I mean, Louisville fan base as far as just general population versus yeah. Florida State. So, uh, trying to, I'll be curious how it turns out. But I, I likely to agree with you on that. I'm sure they'll show out pretty well for a conference championship. Well, John, I really appreciate you jumping on here. Before I let you go, I've got to ask you uh, one more question, a little choose-your-own-adventure. I'll give you three topics. You tell me which one you want. We'll go from there. So uh, I've been asking people a lot of uh, one general football question uh, or TV streaming, or, or let's go a little bit Louisville local with pizza. So uh, which yeah. of those three would you like to get a question from? Oh, man. I mean, the the nerd in me wants to go – general football question all right let's do it let's do it so i've been asking people you've got basically they're, they're giving you an expansion college football team where you get the first pick of anybody in all of college football this year who are you building your college football program around oh an individual player yeah one individual player to, to start with your team oh gosh oh man um <clears throat> That's tough. Um, <laughs> you got a time limit on this? Uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I've gotten Caleb Williams. I've got Travis Hunter. I've got uh, Jalen Daniels. You know, uh, so a lot of a lot of good names this year. Yeah, I, I like the flexibility of Hunter. A little two way action. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's nice. Um, I don't know. I, I, almost, I guess I got to go Daniels. I mean, he's just yeah. – uh, he's a playmaker. He's dynamic. He should probably be the Heisman Trophy winner this year. Um, we'll see, I guess. But um, I don't know. I, I guess he's got enough he, – he's got a little uh, – to, to pull it back in uh, to the hometown flavor. He's got a little Lamar in him, I guess, where he can make some plays and yeah. do some draw-dropping stuff. So. Um, yeah, I think I, I think that's a safe enough bet that I'm not going to get booed away by my uh, you know GM <laughs> or my fan base on my first picks. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know Jaden Jaden's been great this year, and I, I really question what Brian Kelly was doing in that first game against Florida State and how he used him somewhat. But uh, uh, yeah, I think he's probably been the most dynamic player on the field this year for sure. Well, John. Uh, ACC championship. Uh, glad Louisville's getting to play in one. Uh, excited about the game, um, and, and really appreciate you jumping on here, John, uh, and spending this uh, this evening with me discussing uh, a, a fun matchup for sure. Yeah, no problem. Glad to glad to hop on. 
Can I can I do like uh, ten seconds of self promotion here? Yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> what was up next. It's time for, for time for you to pimp yourself out here, John. Yeah, no, I, I as always like feel free to check out some of the stuff I'm doing over at cardchronicle.com. Uh, I'm actually under the username Cardinal Strong over there. Um, one of the things I started doing in the off season though that I'm I'm proud of uh, that I'd love people to check out. If you go to YouTube, Cardinal Strong Media is the username, and I'm doing a series called Two Minute Plays, and so it's a a, a mini breakdown of a single you know play concept. We we kind of go over the play design and then show an example you know of a, of that play being executed try to introduce a little bit of dry humor and some metaphors and some puns and all that fun stuff while it's going on. So uh, feel free to give that a uh, check that out as well. Appreciate it uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, thanks again for having me on. Always a fun time to, to hop on with you. John, you got that in your Twitter or whatever it's called bio or anything like that, that link. Um, yeah, I can, uh, I can, I can put it in there. I don't think okay. it's in there right now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Definitely want to check that out. Uh, Love seeing the 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 play breakdown. Uh, you know, obviously X's and Knowles, who's over at twenty four seven now, they do a fantastic job, and we have our whiteboard Wednesdays. And and I, I wish I had the brain that some of you guys have, John. So I'm really, I really want to check that out and look forward to it for sure. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not the uh, guru by any means. Try to keep it pretty simple. You know, uh, I That's get a the lot best. of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the, uh, you know, hey, I watched this with my uh, wife and she now understands some of the play, you know. So <laughs> exactly, I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm not going too crazy with it, so don't get your hopes too high. But uh, No, no, I, I, I need it. I need it. I need it kept stupid. So I'm all for that, John. <laughs> well, John, thanks so much for being on here. Uh, John Powell, Cardinal Strong at the Card Chronicle. Check him out. Uh, as always, check us out at Tomahawk Nation or the Everything Knowles Podcast Network. I'm Tim Allenball. This has been the Line of Scrimmage Podcast. And until next time, let's keep climbing.